Our scripture reading is from John chapter 14. If any of you would like a Bible, please raise your hand and one of our um, people will come bring it to you. So from the book of John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it is neither because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's James. If this is your first time out, a warm welcome to you, to you today. Um, I'm going to, it's been a cu- actually a couple months uh, since I've been up here. And uh, so we just, uh, one of the things I wanted to do just quickly is just to thank Matt for carrying the load from the preaching end for as, as we have been a team. And there's been a, a few things that have happened in the last few months moving to Warm M. Uh, and, uh, and also an increased prayer focus for our church and Easter and all those things like that. And so Matt's carried the load in the last few months. And, uh, but I'm really excited to uh, teach you this morning uh, from God's word. I be- we believe it's God's word that he's speaking to us today. So would you just join me? We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to, to speak to our hearts. And then we're going we're gonna to look at th- this passage that we just heard read to us today. Father, we need you, son, we want you to be glorified today, and Holy Spirit, we want your work to be powerful in our hearts. And so we invite you to, to speak into us. We thank you for your word, and we love you. We pray that you would, uh, wherever people are in this room, in their spiritual walk with you, whether they are discouraged or encouraged, whether they are far from you or close to you, whether they are a skeptic or a believer, Father, we pray that you just would be able to do what you would like to do today, and we trust in you, and just ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, um, my son is a particular Lego fan uh, guy, and uh, I'm kind of growing into Lego, okay? So I wasn't really a Lego guy before. I, uh, one of the things that's problems is I don't really visualize things well. Like, if you look at the cars and things like that, I don't see what the problem is. You look into the hood of a car, I don't see naturally how things are supposed to be built. Well, Lego is like one of my worst nightmares. Uh, because you got all these pieces, but you don't know exactly where everything's supposed to fit. And if I didn't have the instruction manual, I would be lost. There'd be some, there's some of you in this room who are intuitive. You could just kind of like figure it on the fly. That's not me. But I, I know when I look at uh, Lego that... I buy this box, right? And I know that something like this is supposed to come out at the end. That I'm supposed to have a helicopter, maybe not the volcanic lava flowing river underneath it, but I'm supposed to have, have this. And then when I open the box, I, I kind of really, in my heart, hope it's already built for me. But I know that it's not. I'm going to end up with one of these. I'm going to end up with pieces. I'm going to be able to to look at this and, and see that something needs to be put together. And I say all this today because I think there's a bit of an analogy. I was watching uh, once spoken about this, but there's a bit of an analogy about life 
with the Lego box. And I asked the question, is like, how many of you approach life with a certain picture that you think, this is what my life is supposed to be? I just turned 40. How many of you are over 40 in this room? Are you willing to admit it? Be bold. How many of you would say that your life looks at 40 plus what you thought it was going to look like at 20, when you were 20? It does? You know, some of, some of you are like, my life looks what I... But many would say, my life doesn't quite fit what I thought it was going to look like. You know, uh, for some of you, the, when you're, okay, you're a first-year university student, this is what you think university is going to look like. <laughs> you're in exams. This is what it looks like right now. Okay? Young marriage, first-year marriage. You hope you're making it through, okay? First baby. What am I supposed to do with this? The diaper. It starts with a diaper. And I say all these things just to, to ask the question this morning is, what do we, how many of us want our lives to look like a picture? And when it doesn't quite fit altogether, we become discouraged, we become uh, people that are sometimes bitter about life because we, the things, all the things that we hoped to be are not in place. And then there's always that peace, and I say this to you, because you have this peace and you say, God, what am I supposed to do with this peace of my life? I didn't expect it. I didn't know what to do with it. And I, you really are almost screaming in painful. What, what are you supposed to do with the piece of cancer that hits your life? What are you supposed to do when you lose your job after 30 years in a place? It's so, it's so discouraging. And yet, today, when we look into this passage, I, just wanna, I really want to encourage you today that actually I think Jesus speaks words of encouragement to people because he's not surprised when our lives don't look exactly the way we picture them to be. And so if you turn with me to John 14, maybe you've already been there. Here's the, here's the picture. Here's the, the context. This is Jesus right before he's about to die. He's going to talk to his disciples in an upper room. He's going to tell them some of the most important things that he thinks they should know. But in this three chapters of 14 to 16, we're going to find him specifically begin to teach about that he's going to send somebody. And we're right in the middle of this uh, Holy Spirit series. And so surprise, surprise, the, the person is the Holy Spirit that he's going to send. But the question is really, what is this spirit? Who is this per- what does this spirit do? Who is this person and what, I, what is he going to do? Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he knows that their lives are about to turn upside down. They had a picture. They had a picture of what Jesus' kingdom was going to look like. Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He was going to bring his kingdom to this world right now. They had, an, they had a picture of what Jesus was all about. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to talk about going to a cross, dying, being betrayed, 
rising again after three days. All this weird, strange talk. And then he says that, oh, don't worry, there is someone coming after me. Now, they love Jesus. This person is not going to be an immediate encouragement to them. They have Jesus in the flesh right in front of them. And Jesus, he loves these men, and he just spent three years of his life with them, and he wants them to know that God has not abandoned them. Even though he is leaving them, God has not abandoned them, and we'll see this in a few minutes. Even though they're going to be facing this peace that they don't understand, this peace which is the cross They don't understand. And he knew that some kind of supernatural encouragement would be needed for them to persevere in their faith when things are really hard around them. And what I love about this passage is that we got to start with what Jesus is doing in terms of talking to his his disciples right there. We got to know the culture. We got to know the situation But then Jesus, in so many of his passages, begins to speak to us. Well, he speaks to me. And I'm hoping that at the end of this, he speaks to you too. And we begin to understand, through Jesus' words, who this spirit is and how he wasn't just given to 12 disciples. And we get a picture of what the spirit is sent to do amongst all people. I say all people, no matter where you are in your life right now whether you're in this room as a believer or someone who's seeking answers to your questions regarding Jesus and Christianity. And what what I believe we find in these three chapters is that Jesus is giving some specific teaching. He wants them to know about the Spirit and what he's going to do in his jobs. And I'll say this, that today I chose to go with only the passages in John, John 14 to 16. And this is really a plug for Alpha because I think there's a great weekend retreat one day. And I understand that Matt's going to be coming and teaching an entire day on the Holy Spirit. And you're going to find out if you go to this Alpha, you're going to go to this retreat, you're going to find out about all the crazy roles that the Spirit does. But today, I just really wanted to anchor into two of the most, what I think are some of the most important roles that the Spirit does. So let's drill down. Let's look at this passage and find out what God has for us. First off, and I understand we don't have sermon notes for you today, and we apologize, we'll get that for you, but so you, you got to go old school, you got to write these down, write in your Bible or on your, on, your note, on your smartphone. But first off is this, that the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. And we just heard this, it says it's in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We get two titles about this person. We get the the title. First off, we see that Jesus calls him the helper or the advocate, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But then he gives it the, the title of the spirit of truth. The one who reveals truth. If you go further on in verse 25, Jesus continues on and he says this, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you in all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I have said to you. Question, are you a person open to truth? Well, most of us will say yes. Now, I'm open. I'm open to truth. But what do you hang your hat on as truth? How do you, how do you determine truth in your life? Do you, is it got to be scientific, empirical evidence? Unless it's backed by that, I'm, I'm not going there. That's not truth. Is it got to be personal experience? Unless I've experienced, I know it's true then. Jesus is saying that you and I do not have the means within ourselves, not just to know truth, but to believe the things that he says are true. We are not, we require help. And so many of us, we can read the Bible. If you can even study it uh, here on campus as an academic exercise. People, um, and yet you're, you don't have to be affected in your heart and your soul. You can just deal with it at, at a, this is a, a book. It's ancient literature. There's genres of literature. There's culture and things like that. It just can be an academic exercise. You can attend lectures on biblical studies. And the professor, no fault of his own, can be rather clinical in his treatment of the, of the Bible. And understandably so, because there's always so much complex stuff to wade through. But devoid of belief, and this is so important, the scriptures can, can be distant. They can be complex. They can be hard to understand, inaccessible. But then, then you speak to someone who believes. And they talk about this in this weird way about how these words on the picture have come alive in their life. How God is speaking to them in the pages of Scripture. How weird is that? What's happening there? What do, they believe the words are true. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. That the, scripture, the Spirit brings the Scriptures to life in terms of understanding. And we don't have enough time to, to go there today, but if you wanted to read further, you could go to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16 and, and just read there and find out what the Spirit does in terms of bringing the Scriptures to life. But I ask you this, is like, who can resonate with this question today? Like, when you read the Bible, does it feel alive? Does it, does it leap off the page and capture your heart? Or is it just clinical? Is it just an academic exercise as you read? I know for me, when I was, uh, I grew up in the church. I basically was t- taken from the hospital to the church nursery. Uh, the next, like in the next two weeks. I learned uh, scripture memory at vacation Bible schools. I went weekly, my parents, and I sat in Sunday evening service an hour before, every week, because my dad had to set up the one mic as the sound guy. So I sat there. So I'm a, I'm a church kid. In so many ways, I struggled, though, with the idea of this life being more than just coming to church. 
And so when I read the Bible, it didn't really make a lot of sense. I, I'd read it. But here's what happened. is a, When I was in a teenage years, a youth pastor kind of took me aside. He looked at me and he said, James, I kind of think you're playing a game. You look good, but I'm not so sure you really believe. Now, he, doesn't, he wasn't saying, I don't know if you are saved or not, but he's, he, he knew inside of me that I was kind of going through the rote behaviors. And then I went to a snow camp one, one year, and if you ever send your kids to this, and there was a guy who spoke, and he said, do you believe? And I had to come to this place where I said, yes. And what a change it made in my heart and life in terms of reading Scripture. All of a sudden, when I was 16, I began to read the Bible, and it began to make sense. You know, the Spirit, that's why I love about, when, when we read about this word pneuma, it's, uh, it's often people start to talk about a force or uh, that's how the Spirit works in power. And that's often what, you, when you read the Old Testament, you see sort of the spirit of empowerment. But the, the word is really a crazy word because in other languages, English doesn't capture this, but there is sort of a, a gender attached to words. I don't know if you know you knew this, but there's gender attached to words. And the Spirit, this pneuma, it's a, it's a word in the neuter. It doesn't have, it's not masculine, it's not feminine, it's neuter. And so you would think that the pronoun, when, when, the, when the, the writers of the New Testament start writing, you would think that they would start to, to talk about the spirit in terms of it. That would be the normal grammatical way of talking about it, about the spirit, because it's neuter. In, in all the cases of the New Testament, the, the common pronoun is he or his, not that the spirit is male, but that there is a, an idea. The New Testament writers, I, th- I believe, theologically have the idea that this spirit is a person. It's not an it. And so we, we worship the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three persons of the Holy Spirit, of the, of the Godhead. And what does this spirit, this person do? I tell you what he does. He, he does exactly what Jesus does. He, he's another helper. That's the word. Like the Father, like the Son, Spirit comes. And Jesus explains to his disciples the meaning of the Old Testaments concerning himself. That's what he does. Over and over again when he's teaching, he's often going back to the Old Testament. He's saying these passages that you read are true, they're authoritative, and they're often about me. And how many times does he go back and he picks up these, these scriptures and, and he explains them? And this happens in a really amazing situation on a road to Emmaus. After he has died, in Luke 24, we find Jesus coming. And it's worth reminding us ourselves, if you want to turn there, I'm not going to read it uh, all the way through. But this situation in Luke 24, where the two disciples are sort of walking along the road. They're discouraged they're, uh, they're, they feel like life is over, that Jesus has died. And after his resurrection, Jesus meets these two disciples on the road. They don't know it's Jesus. And it says in verse 27, Then beginning with, the Mo- with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them all the things that concerning himself in all the scriptures. He explained the meaning of scripture. He explained how the Scripture points to Christ, how he points to himself. 
And he did, he did those same things that night. In verse 44, later on in the, in the story, he, he meets with them and he says, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says this, And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Let me tell you about this, that we must get this, that the Spirit's teaching ministry is in you first. It's to teach you the meaning of the Bible, the meaning of Scripture, and it's not some kind of esoteric, some kind of special knowledge that only a few get. It's not revelation that just kind of is pulled out of air. The Spirit's ministry teaches you all things that are revealed in the Bible so that you would know God. You would know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of truth, He focuses on Christ. If you're going to go back to John 16, it says this in verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you understand the sequence? The Father's truth is passed on to the Son, which is passed on to the Spirit, and then it's passed on to the apostles to be recorded in Scripture, and then it's passed on to us. And then the Spirit, who is resident inside of you and me, if you believe in Jesus, becomes the illuminator. He's the one who makes Scripture come alive. And that's why Christians study, why, study the Bible. It's, it's that important. It's because it's the very words of God to us. This is what we believe. That the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. Jesus is the object of the Spirit's ministry because Christ is the theme of Scripture. When we preach Christ, as Christ preached himself in the Old, from the Old Testament, we see that the apostles preached Jesus throughout the whole New Testament. And that in this we are following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that's one. That's one thing that the, what it means for the Spirit of truth to be alive and working in our hearts. What else does the spirit of truth do? Well, Jesus says to all people, he takes all people to this really uncomfortable place. And he does this. He says, he takes us to the un- uncomfortable place of confronting unbelief. The spirit of truth convicts people of unbelief in Jesus. If you're, we're going to stay in John 16. Read with me verse uh, 5 to 11. It says this, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are we going? Because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What Jesus is saying here is that it is beneficial. It's beneficial to to people that he leaves. 
because he was tied to time and to space. He could only be there in that time, but he was going to send a person who would not be tied to time and to space, who would be the helper. And so here's the question for you uh, when we come to talking about conviction in our lives. Is there something in the gospel message that in the Christian faith that you struggle to believe? Think about this. Be honest in your heart. Is there something that you struggle to believe? The virgin birth. Jesus being fully God, fully human being. Miracles. Rising from the dead. What the reality of this is that the void of the Holy Spirit's work, the, the gospel is foolishness. It sounds crazy. And we need the, the Spirit's work in our minds and our hearts to move us from unbelief to belief, from doubt to faith. And Billy Graham saw this. He, he knew it and he spoke and he said this, I quote him, the, the Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of people makes us yearn for God, and then he takes spiritual truth and makes it understandable to us. And so the Spirit's job here is to help you and I in our unbelief. One of the most uh, helpful things, I think Matt has talked about this a few times, is that we got to start getting back to the idea that we all are unbelievers. We may be Uh, have come to the place where we believe in the gospel. We have come positionally where we are saved by grace and faith through faith, but we still have not arrived where we believe the gospel in all areas of our lives. That we are all unbelievers. And so if you're here today, even as a skeptic, you may be intrigued by Christianity. You may be intrigued by Jesus, but you haven't placed your faith in this work of the cross. What Jesus says, he came to die on a cross, he rose again to pay the cost of your sins. And what this passage is saying is that, really what Jesus is saying is, I left this world to send the Spirit to do the work of conviction in your hearts, to convince the lives of unbelievers. To bring this home to you, in essence, the Spirit has been given to you as a gift. If you're here today and you don't believe, to do this work of conviction. Now, you you might be thinking, that's a lousy gift, right? Who, Who likes the conviction? What kind of gift is that? But listen, listen, conviction over sin means that he's not ignoring you. That he loves you enough to not leave you in your place. That he loves you enough that he pursues you and doesn't allow you to continue in your sin. And the challenge is that you need to be convinced that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. For what purpose? So that you would surrender to the love of God, forgiving you and taking you in as his child, so that you would have assurance in your soul. Is this not what our world is longing for? Assurance 
that there's more to this life than, the, than we see. Assurance that after I die, that am I accepted? Is there, if there is a God, what, what do I got to do to earn my way to his favor? And if you think like that, there's no assurance. Because you're always constantly trying to pile up your good works on one side so that they, oh man, my sins pile up on the other side. So no, no sermon, no preacher's words are sufficient. Only the Spirit can bring you to a place where you're, you, you are convinced that the problem of your sin is big enough that only God can handle it. Man, I... I wish I could just like come down and make sometimes this happen in people's lives. But I can't. This is why we, pr- we pray. We pray before the service starts. We say, God, when we speak, would you, would you speak through your word? And simply put, the, I want to be really honest. The Spirit's job is to convince you, if you're an unbeliever here today, that unbelief is actually a sin. There is... God can forgive anything you've done. But there is something that is the the line in the sand. And his word says that unbelief in his work on the cross is it. It's 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 the sin that separates us from God. But if you're a Christian here, and I and I let's I'm not gonna let you off the hook, okay? Because here's, here's the truth, is that we all, as we struggle with unbelief in our lives, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us that there's an area of my life that I am not living out trusting God in. Is, is, it, is it unbelief that God will take care of me if I lose my job? That God will love me, loves me even when bad things happen to me? When I am facing a disease or a debilitating thing, my mom has had 35 years of fibromyalgia, and it's not just like a little case. It's like one of those ones where you are, like, you do something for a day, and then you're on your back for two, for 35 years. And she's been, uh, I love my mom, and sometimes you get, like, in your own little world, and you don't try to live in what she's facing. But here's, here's what I see, is a woman who's learned to trust God even when her strength is completely failed. And she has not become bitter. Someday she's frustrated. But she has not become bitter that God gave her that peace to bear. And I tell you this today to, because we need the conviction to ask this question. Am I believing God in my singleness? Am I believing God in my work? Am I believing God is in control of all things? We all need the Holy Spirit to reveal who God is, to help us trust in his promises, to help us overcome the sin of unbelief in our day-to-day lives. And so lots more could be said about this spirit of truth, but there's one more, and it's not nearly as long, but I want to talk to you today about this other title that that John 14 has, where Jesus calls and he says, I'm going to send another helper, this word advocate. 
The Holy Spirit comes to us as an advocate and an encourager. Jesus' desire for his followers is to, know, is, is to know that he hasn't started something and just said, oops, I'm leaving, good luck. He, he says, and these, these, are, these are amazing words that I was reading this week, because sometimes we, we read on and we say in verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. But if you jump down to 18, it says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I love this. It's like, put yourself in the spot of the disciples. They had dropped everything to follow this man. Left their jobs, their families behind. They went on a three-year road trip. With this, with this Jesus, and they had seen amazing things. But you imagine, it wasn't easy. They probably had a lot of family who were sitting there going, you are, you are, I can't believe you're leaving us. I can't believe you're dropping your job to follow this, this man. And they believed, though, he was the Messiah, long promise. And, they were, and then he's talking about death and, 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 and leaving them. The emotional discouragement that those disciples must have faced would have been overwhelming. But Jesus loves them. And he says, I want you to know that you're, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What compels people to follow Jesus when they face opposition? History and uh, sort of the, as you read through um, the accounts of the lives of the disciples, all of them, except for one, died, martyred for their faith. People don't die for a lie. What, what would help compel them to continue in the face of such opposition? Nothing of human origin. He knew, Jesus knew, that they would need God himself to persevere in their faith. The word here that is given is about this advocate or encourager is this paraclete. It's a word uh, in Greek called paraclete. And it has a few translation options. The first one is this, and it's depending on which uh, a situation that you would sort of change the idea. But the first one is this idea of an advocate. It's one where you have someone who will stand by you when the accuser seeks to charge you as guilty in a court of law. And the Bible says that Satan is seeking and he's like a lion going around us seeking to look for those he can devour. He's the accuser of souls. He's the one that's firing darts of accusations at people's hearts and lives. And what, what it says here is that you have been given an advocate, a helper, so that one would stand by you when your accuser seeks to charge you as guilty. And so we are guilty of sin, but the advocate reminds us that the cost of our guilt has been poured out on Jesus and we can now stand free without condemnation. Is this good news? Is this good news? Yeah, it's good news. Glad you're with me. Just have to, that's a, we have to, every moment, we just want to see if you're still with us for a second here. And so there's this idea of this legal term. But I think in this context, too, that it's entirely right to understand a warmer term this, of this word paraclete. It's one of, he is the helper 
And depending on which translation you read, you actually see all these words, helper, encourager, counselor. Jesus loves the disciples, and he knows they're going to need assurance, a reminder that they're still loved, that they're not orphans, that they are sons and daughters of the king. And so this is the, one of the primary jobs, I believe, of the Holy Spirit, is to assure people that they can be his. This is good news for our hearts. When we think about God who is holy and just and at times some scary stuff when I read the Bible, that in all these things I can see him as the Father and this Spirit assures me that I can be his. How many of us need human reminders in our human relationships that we won't be abandoned? And how much more do we need the presence of God that tells us with all our flaws that we can still be loved by God? And so the gospel tells us that we can be his through faith in Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. The gospel tells us that God proves his love through the sacrifice, that his glory is found in the Son. And all these things are just words, though, without the Spirit making that truth come alive in our hearts. Is that truth alive in your heart? The Spirit initiates belief in you and I, bringing us to faith and assures us that we are no longer enemies of God, but rather friends. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, God will transform you on the inside. That's his promise. It says that if you honestly call upon the name of the Lord, he will transform you. Now, he's probably going to give you the shock of your life. Okay? Receiving the Holy Spirit is a shocking experience. Okay? Sometimes it's a, for many people, it can be uh, a peaceful experience. For others, it's just incredibly emotional. But it will change everything to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's the, the greatest thing, that when you receive the Spirit, you have assurance that he has given you everlasting life in him. We need to know that we belong, that the Holy Spirit is our deposit, our promise, our seal, with these tremendous words, I am his. I began the service today just talking about the mess of our lives. I really could just dump it all over because some of you here today might feel like that's what your life looks like. It's like a mess. My son really wants to put it together after, so I don't want to lose parts, but uh, practically speaking. But here's, here's the thing. That in our lives, as we respond to the, the Holy Spirit, he comes to us today in those same, those same terms. For some of you today, you need the spirit of encouragement because you're facing situations in your life that you're like crying out to God and saying, what on, earth, what on earth am I supposed to do with this peace that God has given to me? And for others of you here in this room, whether it's you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit about unbelief, maybe in a place of saying, I need to place my faith in Jesus. I've been coming for a number of weeks. I've heard the gospel preached over and over again here at this church and this is the day I need to take the step, the cross the line. I got I to realize this, is, this sin of unbelief is separating me from God, and I got to cross that line. 
And you can call out to the Spirit and ask Him to help you overcome your unbelief in your life. But in our lives also, you might be here today and you need the Holy Spirit to just convict you of the unbelief that you're not trusting in Him. You've got this, this peace and you don't know what to do with and you're not trusting Him. You're becoming bitter. You become anxious. How many are you struggling with worry that is keeping you up at night? You cannot sleep. And Jesus says that he has a yoke that you, he wants to walk with you. He wants to be yoked together in all of your burdens so that you can be, not carry this alone. And so we're going to close the service. And what we're going to do is we're going to create some space here. For some of you, you just like to sing. You want to be, but we're going to quiet it down, to this, especially the first two songs here. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, we're going to be very practical about this, is that for some of you, you've been feeling God's calling you over weeks or months or today to respond to the Holy Spirit in your life. And so instead of going to a prayer area at the back, we want to create a space where we have a number of people who are available here right now during this time of singing, everyone's going to stand up so that people aren't like really like sticking out. But you can come down and receive prayer over your unbelief, over your discouragement, over the things that you need in your life. And what we have here is the idea that the Spirit is present here. He wants to encourage you in our faith. He wants us to be reminded that we are his, that we can be his, and we are loved. So Matt and John and one of our elders, and we have a couple other, Willie and Bianca, we're all going to be down here available. And while we respond to the Holy Spirit, just would you pause, not move on to the sun, your Sunday things. What do you got co coming up that that's really that important? It's a beautiful day. You will get out of here by noon. But here's what I would love to hear that God has done. You're, you're just pausing in your life. You're letting and asking the Spirit to show you what he needs to convict you of or allow him to be the encourager that you need today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to create the space for us to respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Father, we thank you today for your... Father, we come to you as your children today, we can be his, yours, through faith in Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in ways that are unbelievable, unspeakable, that we don't even uh, understand. If you, God, we pray that if anyone needs healing today, maybe it's physical or emotional or depression, that they would come forward and receive prayer with someone else. But it's, it's that they would receive your spirit as the one who is the encourager. That's what you say, another helper, just like Jesus, just like the Father. And I pray, Father, if we need conviction in our hearts over unbelief, I pray that your spirit would do the work that only you can do. Oh, Father, spirit, please work in our midst. We desperately need you. Father, we pray this for your glory, not for a, an emotional response at all, but that today 
people would come and do, be moved in their hearts, be, be more surrendered to your Holy Spirit because you are the one who works. It changes lives. And for this, we give you glory. We glorify Christ and we love you. And all of God's people said, amen.